So the church year is drawing to a close. In two weeks, we begin a new liturgical year. I believe it's year A in the lectionary will be beginning for those following on their scorecards. Next week, we observe what is called Christ the King Sunday, known more inclusively as Reign of Christ Sunday. That is the final, final Sunday of the church calendar. That means pastors and music staffs are thinking about Advent and Christmas. Families plan for Thanksgiving. Many are making their gift lists for the next season. Some, of course, don't believe that's something you do until Christmas Eve. And then they're the truly organized who bought all their gifts in July and are enjoying telling others how they are done with their shopping. No, the rest of us don't appreciate hearing that from you. And despite our best efforts to look forward to the holidays, to Advent, to Christmas, to Thanksgiving, we run smack dab into Jesus telling us how world is going to be upended, how persecution could well be coming how suffering and even death are very possible events in our world, and not just for the world, but for the faithful. Jesus' words shocked the first disciples. Earlier in the week, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey greeted by thousands who were cheering for his coming as the Messiah. The disciples believed Jesus was going to overthrow the Romans, reform the practice of the faith, and bring justice to the poor and the oppressed. And instead of taking up this cloak of power that the people were ready to confer, Jesus pointed to something different, a troubling future where wars and rebellions continue, where earthquakes, famines, and plagues cause widespread suffering. And Jesus tells his disciples plainly, they're going to suffer. They will be arrested. They will be brought before religious and civil authorities. And some of them will even be martyred. All this because of the hatred of Jesus and what his name means. The good news is going to give the disciples a chance to provide a clear testimony to the faith. Sounds scary, right? We ought to be honest that we struggle with those words. Most of us have a high degree of comfort and safety in our day-to-day -day lives. A prophecy that speaks of upheaval and persecution is something we want to move past as quickly as we can. At the end of the liturgical year, we would really rather jump over the descriptions that remind us of injustice and war in the world right to the celebration of Christ's reign, and then on to the wonderful news of Christmas. It's striking that Jesus tells his disciples, don't try to prepare canned responses. For those living faithfully each day, Jesus' promised responses are being prepared for us by the Spirit, by worshiping in community, by listening to the word proclaimed, by acts of kindness as a community and as individuals, by study of God's word, by the constant actions of the Spirit to form and grow fruit in the lives of disciples, 
God prepares followers to give a witness when the challenging moments arise. No need to agonize or prep or write or imagine every single possibility because God prepares those who live faithfully. So what are we to do with this passage and its challenges? Well, we need to acknowledge that the specific warning Jesus gave to his disciples has happened to people of faith again and again, and it still happens today around the world. And even in our own country, founded on the right of people to speak and worship freely, people have been persecuted in some pretty horrific ways when they stand against evils like racism and slavery and corrupt government and abuse of children and company practices that harmed workers and consumers. And we should realize that a future like this is not beyond the possibility for ourselves or our children. Democracy is threatened these days on the right and the left by the extremes of the political spectrum. And those extremes end up looking amazingly similar, totalitarian, no matter which direction they come from. One of the challenges with interpreting these kind of hard passages is recognizing how our world compares to the, word, to the world where the words were first spoken. Sometimes there are great similarities. Sometimes there are striking differences. Jesus told his first disciples that war and rumor of war and all manner of upheavals would come. When war or disaster came to a country in ancient times, common people suffered greatly. Invading armies raped and plundered. Taxes increased when rulers needed to increase military power. Natural catastrophes like floods would wipe out crops and hunger and starvation would result. But there was a distance from this when there was no immediate conflict or catastrophe in a country. Home life moved along uninterrupted by these reports. Children played, farmers sowed and reaped, homemakers did their daily difficult work. The pace of life moved with a particular rhythm. Life was certainly a struggle, and most of us wouldn't make it for long given the level of work required but there was still a fundamental distance from those rumors that would come along from time to time. Our world that we live in underwent a fundamental change in the middle of the 15th century. A man named Gutenberg developed a movable type printing press and the amount of information available to the common person exploded. By 1621, Robert Burton would have printed the following words in a book called The Anatomy of Melancholy. I hear new news every day, and those ordinary rumors of war, plagues, fires, inundation, thefts, murders, massacres, meteors, comets, Spectrums, prodigies, apparitions of town taken, towns taken, cities besieged in France, Germany, Turkey, Persia, Poland, etc., daily musters and preparation and such like, which these tempestuous times afford, battles fought, so many men slain, 
Monomachies, shipwrecks, piracies, sea fights, peace leagues, stratagems, and fresh alarms. A vast confusion of vows, wishes, actions, edicts, petitions, lawsuits, pleas, laws, proclamations, complaints, grievances are daily brought to our ears. And now we can find all that Burton listed and a million times more available right on our phones or our other devices. Wars, rumors of wars, natural disasters, yes, every single day, every single hour or minute or even second, if you so choose. When all this noise presses in on us, what are we to do? Even if we don't face persecution by religious or civil authorities, or the immediate possibility of another catastrophe, Jesus' words still speak to us to take heart, take comfort, and remember his promise. And we still find we are called to account for our faith every day. In our homes, in our jobs, in our schools, in the public spaces we inhabit, Christians are meant to witness by their actions and by their words in ways that reflect our faith. And one of the most important places to do that kind of witness actually turns out to be in this fractured times to be right here in the church. Even if we find we are a deeply divided people over every issue you can imagine, we're still called to witness to our faith with each other. In the church, we have two amazing activities in which we should be able to engage with each other. We ought to be able to share with one another humbly what we believe, and we ought to be able to listen humbly and attentively to those who disagree with us. And if we ever want to doubt, that's the calling of the community of faith. There's an example from two people Jesus called to be his disciples. Jesus called Matthew a tax collector. There was no more despised profession among Israelites of that time because the tax collectors helped the Romans. And Jesus also called Simon, who was a zealot. The zealots were a political party who were working to drive the Romans out of Israel. And zealots were known from time to time to assassinate those who worked with the Romans. And one of their primary targets was tax collectors. You know, we struggle with how to love one another in the body of Christ when disagreements arise. You know, and the expectation of having to speak with care and listen carefully to others, boy, at times that can seem just as frightening as the wars and the rumors of wars. But it may be our greatest witness in fractious times that we live in to show the world we know how to love one another, even if we disagree. There was a recent article in the Presbyterian Outlook that spoke to the values we treasure so much. The intent of the article was to help people understand how those who come from a different perspective than you operate. What, what are their reasons behind their particular positions? Those values we hold dearest, the article stated, are learned as we mature. 
And often the most dearly formed of those values come from our negative life experiences. Here's the list provided in the article in the negatives. Caring, a wonderful value, defined by the negative experience of harm. Certainly harm to ourselves, but even more importantly, harm to children. Fairness, defined by the experience of cheating. Loyalty, defined by the negative experience of betrayal. Authority, defined by the experience of subversion or rebellion. Sanctity, defined by the experience of degradation or that yuck kind of stuff that we've seen happen. And liberty, defined by the experience of oppression. You know, every single one of us, when we witness in the church and in the world, speaks more strongly to some of those values than others. And that's good. That's okay. We are all incarnational in our faith. We just need to understand that the witness of others is different because they've been formed by another experience that makes them hold dearly to one of those other core values. And respecting that difference and learning to work with others who come from a different perspective is a challenge to which God has called us. Just because there are deep divisions in our world does not mean we can cease to talk to each other and to church. And just because we think what we love about our world is threatened doesn't mean we can quit acting like Jesus expects us to with one another. And just because that person who sits next to us in the pew holds a different set of values most dear does not mean we can fail to heed the command to love one another. The uh, final hymn today is a hymn that looks forward to the full realization of the kingdom of God. It's another old gospel standard that a lot of people remember probably growing up. Uh, It's a beautiful hymn. One of the ways the church brings the vision, the reality of that kind of future into the world right now and helps people understand the beauty of the world to come is when we love each other past all our differences. That's the challenge we face, loving one another as part of our witness. The promise from Jesus is still the same. Jesus will remain faithful. Jesus will teach us how to say and how to speak to one another and how to love each other. Jesus will lead and guide. Jesus will preserve us. We can count on the Spirit to help us know how to respond faithfully and with love to each other. Amen.